This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the beautiful and intuitive website publishing platform that allows anyone to easily create professional web pages, blogs, online stores, and galleries all on a single platform. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME7. My wife and I recently took a day trip to Santa Barbara. And while I was there, one of the things that I noticed was what people were taking pictures with. And the great majority of them were using their camera phones. And that's changed from just a few years ago when a lot of people had compact cameras or you would see a good number of SLRs. But now it's it's largely the the camera phone that is the sort of ubiquitous device for image capturing amongst everyone. And it's really interesting to, to see that, not just because of the device that's being used, but how it's informing and changing the way people see photography and how they use photography. It certainly changed the way I shoot. And in a lot of good ways. And it's been very fun as well to pick up my phone rather than my, my camera and go out and make and make photographs. I have to say that recently uh, some of my best photographs have been as a result of using my camera phone. And a lot, I know a lot of people don't like these things because of these filters and they don't consider it photography. But it's here and uh, it's not going away. And there's some practitioners of this type of photography that are really exceptional, regardless of what device they're using. They're producing some fantastic photographs. And I had a chance to meet some of these photographers recently as part of the 24-hour project slash workshop that happened here in the Los Angeles area that was based out of KPCC Public Radio here in Pasadena. And one of the creators of the 24-hour project is Samuel Smotherman, also known as Whittier Sam. And uh, I got to see his presentation, and it really spurred me to want to sit down and talk with him. And you're going to get to hear that conversation in, in a few minutes. And I hope you really enjoy it, because whether or not you're using your, your camera phone in a serious way as a photographer, it's something that's worthy of exploration. And for me, it's photography. It's fun. It's exciting, and it's just wonderful to see what people like, like Whittier or Sam are doing with their cameras. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Whittier Sam. First off, Sam, thanks for uh, having me in your home. Oh, you're welcome. To, to do this interview. Um, when I saw the presentation at the KPCC a couple of weeks ago, I was really impressed by what you guys had, had done. Um, I was really excited to be able to, to listen in. I wish I'd had more time to actually participate because okay. it looked like you guys are doing some fantastic work. I've had an increasing interest in iPhoneography or, or, or photography with a camera phone, and mm-hmm. you know, and I and I can see that you know there are two schools that people who really embrace it and other people who sort of poo-poo it and you know say because it's not made with a DSLR, it's not real photography. So I think I think those people are becoming few and far between now. I think that. It's been proven. It's been documented by the people shooting that you know people initially can't tell a photo unless you're blowing something up, you know, very big or doing something small time 
publication magazine size uh, prints work fine. And so, you know, as people consume it, they're not able to tell the difference um, on most of the media size or uh, traditional media size. Um, it's not noticeable. What's amazing to me when I go on Instagram and I start looking at pictures there, I find myself getting much more excited more frequently about pictures that I'm seeing there mm-hmm. than I ever do when I'm uh, on Flickr or any of the other sites. Because some, you know, there are certain there are certain people like Kochi and mm-hmm. and other people who are doing s- such remarkable things with those phones, despite their not despite their limitations, probably because of the limitations that they're able to just make these beautiful photographs that you that just make me drop my jaw. Mm-hmm. What got you into that? Were you already interested in photography and you started exploring with the with the phone or my dad took pictures and you know he would haul out the film camera and we would do family portraits. I I would dress in some horrible 1970s beige corduroy and behind a green rug <laughs> or in front of a green rug and you know that was kind of it. But you know with film back then uh I didn't get a lot of hands-on because film costs a lot more money than uh, you know digital image but I'd always liked the idea of photography that, but the price range kept me out of it yeah. but I did start playing with mobile photography on my trio and you know this is probably like a one megapixel if that camera but I started to have fun with little things that I would capture things that I would see and add you know a, a little line to it about you know what my sort of my, the thought process or what yeah. caught me about it and so it really started there but when I got my first iPhone it took off much more and it was you know always out you know I'd always be taking pictures so if I was walking down the street my phone would be in my hand not in my pocket and so that camera was was there and accessible and from then uh, it's moved over and I've, you know, made, since I was going out now to take pictures, it got me interested in the other tools that, you know, things that, uh, you know, each camera is a tool, each lens is a specific tool. And so it answers or solves a different question. So, you know, for a sledgehammer, you're not going to be tapping little small nails. There's things that this particular mobile tool can do fantastically and shouldn't be overlooked. But, you know, it has, like any tool, has its limitations or it has its purpose. And so there were things I wanted to, I've expanded away from from mobile, but uh, that's, my mobile phone is what I capture 80% of my images. Yeah, I, I, I was in New Orleans and for the first couple of days I had both my phone and my DSLR. And about after three or four days, I left the DSLR at the hotel because I found myself in in this sort of zone where I was having a lot more fun. I was a lot more excited about how I what I was seeing and how I was capturing it. And I think a big part of that was things were made a lot simpler. Because mm-hmm. I knew when I had the DSLR, I was always sort of focusing on the camera in terms of my settings, my white balance, my ISO, my shutter speed, and all those other things. And I think that that tension sort of drew some energy out from me where I really couldn't be in the moment where I was just experiencing what I was seeing and seeing and clicking. And I was so much more happier with the images that I was producing with the phone that I I didn't hesitate leaving the other equipment Mm -hmm. back, Mm -hmm. even though they gave me a 
quote unquote, a better quality image mm-hmm. because I felt that there was something happening here that I didn't want to put the kibosh on by forcing myself to shoot with a DSLR because of some supposed superiority in, in, in quality. Do you think that that simplicity, that that the phone's ability to focus more on composition is, is one of the big reasons why you find that a really effective tool for your photography or is it something else? That's one thing. You know, I'm at the learning curve on the other side, uh, especially starting with a film camera that has no white balance or doesn't have a light meter on it. It's been <laughs> a lot of guesswork and, you know, frustration. But even moving in with the other ones, there's a lot more thought of composing, looking back, did I get it, um, versus, you know, when I what I see is what I'm getting sort of aspect with, with the phone. Um, I use, primarily I use two camera apps. I use Pro Camera, and then I use Hipstamatic for my shooting. And one is just a, a, a grainy black and white, the Hipstamatic, which I like because the pre-edits, it, that's what I call it. You know, it's, it's set in, locked in before. I mean, obviously you can change it like you could any, anything else with post-edits. Um, and the other I try to keep pretty much just what I'm shooting. So I'm trying to edit, not even edit. So what I get from, I think, I'll maybe crop or switch to black and white, but that's I'm trying to leave the initial image alone. Um, which is sometimes hard, but I'm trying to, you know, not do use any filters, not do any of that mm-hmm. stuff. And so I'm sort of taking, I guess, what a lot of people enjoy about the mobile photography is the filters. It's the, you know, all the app stacking and things that they can do. But I found out for what I'm enjoying with my shooting, it's more of just the shot. And then, the, of course, the story um, that goes along with it. Do you find that the fact that you always have your phone with you has really allowed you to sort of accelerate the process of you being able to become a better photographer? Yeah, I think so. Well, because, I mean, you're practicing. And um, I know this, I'm going to forget his name or mispronounce it, but, you know, your 10,000 shots are your, you know, your worst. And Mm -hmm. that was for film when it cost money (laughs) you had to develop. So I think, you know, there's an exponent now behind that number now with digital. uh, Because with film, you couldn't really spray and pray with, with your photography. So there was, which, which you can do now with the digital, you know, with eight shots per second and some of the, you know, the higher end cameras that you couldn't do back then with film. And so I think that putting that into the context of telling a story or finding the shot, that number, it's far too low for digital photography. But having said that there, there's an initial number. I think that's his point that he, he throws out a big number to say that, those don't count. You weren't, you know, you didn't understand quite what you were doing. And it's, you know, with anything else, you know, my kids mentioned martial arts or the martial arts. Um, it's that muscle memory. It's that I'm walking into a room. Okay. I'm reading the light. Okay. It's a, you know, if I don't know the exact number of, you know, the warmth of the coolness, I know where to set my camera. I know my tool. I know here, here, here's my settings. It's making what was conscious into the unconscious. And, um, I think that's what he's was referring to with that, those 10,000 shots. So with uh, an iPhone, it is that composition. You know, you're still composing. You're reading the light. You're, you're moving your subject in. What's the interesting story about it? Um, did you capture that, the attitude, the emotion? And uh, so that's all practice. So, I mean, practicing something th- thoughtfully is going to lead to 
you know, improvements within another tool. Granted, you'll have to learn those tool settings and it's, uh, you know, how, how it, how it brings in the information, you know, the iPhone, it's pretty simple. You can maybe, you know, the focus zoom, get rid of all of them, but how, how it deals with information and how you tell it to do what it needs to be done. Uh, that's what needs to get learned. Uh, so that's back to your question, practicing with those thoughtfully about composition. Um, I, I like the, uh, the saying, you know, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. So if you practice meaningfully and thoughtfully and and with, in, with intention and, you know, best, best, best practices, you're going to get a better, a better shot. And how did you develop that sense in terms of recognizing a good composition? Because, you know, you can make a lot of, a lot of pictures, but what started becoming your reference for going... This works. You may not have necessarily had the the vocabulary to sort of explain mm-hmm. it, but I think part a big part of it is that there you start developing sort of an intuitive sense where you looking at other people's work and that started informing the way you saw, or were you reading, were you looking at monographs? What what exactly started sort of crystallizing that idea of oh, this is what makes a good picture, or at least this is a, a compositional form or element that I really excites me and let me try and see if I can create that with my own imagery. Hard quite I haven't done as I, well I don't know if anyone has but done as much studying as I would like to do and to be able to talk about the greats in the um in depth as I would would like to but I think what has helped me is I've always been interested in people and I've always worked with people so um having come out of the education field working with uh kids uh, with uh, severe learning disabilities or severe emotionally disturbed kids, you know, you have to get a good read on people. You have to be able to work well and with uh, all types of folks. So it's not just, uh, for me, it's not just an observational thing with my photography, but it's, there's an engagement, probably too much. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm too chatty with, with folks. And so, so, but that's, that's me and I'm coming into that's what I like to do. And that's how I relate to people as I'm talking, I'm finding out stories, you know, early on, I was involved in, you know, politics, we started feeding a group that fed the homeless uh, here 20 years ago. And it was interesting, I ran into a guy that I had served as a teenager, and he recognized me. Um, You know, he's still on the streets of Whittier, you know, and so that was neat to see. So to me, it's those stories that I like to hear, and are I like to hear about, but I also like to tell. So I had that, my human interest already already laid. And so it was telling, picking out the best picture from those sort of, from the stories that interested me, you know, out of say, there, I have a conversation with someone and get the 10 shots, you know, there's going to be one that's a little bit better. And uh, not just in the focus or, you know, the, the technical side, Aside, um, it's the finding the, the picture that represents honestly the interaction or what you've mostly the interaction because sometimes um, and, and a lot of the backing up for someone who might not have seen my pictures is uh, I do a lot of folks on the street and taking their pictures, talking to them, getting their stories. I might not always be presented with say an honest story, but I want to be honest about the interaction. So that's where I, you know, I don't have to always have been told the truth, but I want to tell the truth about the story. And I don't have to second guess what they've said or actually, 
<laughs> I did because someone says, do you think that's my real name? And I said, you know, no, you hesitated and you looked up to the left, you know, your eyes. And she says, ah, okay. You got, you know, <laughs> you got me. But, um, other than that, you know, whatever story people want to tell me, that's kind of what I'm going for. And so I'm looking to find within the shots that I've taken there to, to find the things that represent to me and best bring in the truth of that interaction. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I, I love about your work is the fact that you have a story that goes along with these these images. People who are homeless or people who are down on their luck or people that I see a lot of people photograph but they either do it for distance or they try to be very sort of sneaky about it. And I like the fact that you're not, that you're right there, that you are connecting with them as people. And then on top of on top of the fact that you're making a really, really good photograph, but you're also giving a voice to that for, the, for that subject. Why is that important to you? Um, well, like I said, I, I'm that guy who talks too much. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, the people who go around and do very well the, the street photography where you're not asking permission, I couldn't last too long doing that. I'm going to talk to people. And so just kind of with a social justice being a big part of of me and, you know, so the causes for, you know, the, the poor and the oppressed, this is uh, a way that I think I can, well, I guess use my experience in the past and how I vision the world to use my photography. Where did this interest come from? Did you grow up in Whittier? Uh, yeah, well, I was born in Peru. Don't remember a lick about it. Uh, <laughs> first memories was here in Whittier, so uh, hence my name. Not my full name or my given name, but my Insta or my social media, Whittier Sam, uh, because I live in Whittier and my name mm -hmm. is Sam, so that seemed to work. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up grew up here, and then when we were feeding the, the homeless, it was also in Whittier. So we did a lot of things locally. Was it that work that that created that awareness in in you about social injustice that put the you know basically inspired you to do work or was there something else that resonated with you even before then that felt like you felt like god there's just something not right about it and i want to be able to do something about it uh well growing up as a christian there's you know big themes of well you know the whole year of jubilee um for folks who don't know that was God had mandated ancient Israel uh, the fiftieth year, the seventh seventh Sabbath year, uh, the year after. So that every fifty years, you'd have this massive uh, redistribution of wealth. So if anyone was in debt, they would be forgiven, given back. If anyone lost their land, their family, that would be given. Anyone who was in jail would be set free. So, which was never practiced, by the way. So I think you know humans always get in the way of these ideals and you know, to the consequence for a lot of folks where there's a big concentration of wealth. And while it doesn't, hasn't made me homeless, you know, it's, you know, many people are, you know, one paycheck away or, you know, I've, you know, had a lot of help during these last few years, uh, you know, with family. And if people didn't have uh, the the family that I've had to provide that support, they, you know, have, they, they end up on the streets. And, um, you know, it's not everyone who who has that foundation or that uh, network, you know, that I've been privileged to have uh, that finds himself there. And so it's not necessarily every, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, folks on the street. And I think most of them, most of the misconceptions are about, you know, it's always drugs and alcohol or, you know, bad choices. But I think um, that's, 
an easy way out. Yeah. So how have you been using the work? I know that you have it, you know, you have it out there on the internet. Um, but are you providing these images to organizations that are doing work with these people? How does that? Or um, yes and no. I'm I'm working with uh, a few uh, buddy of mine works for. Oh boy, I got to make sure I get the name right. Um, I want to say World Relief. Um, and so some of the pictures I've been able to take through him is of refugees, uh, and they were I was able to go to their house, help them move some things in, uh, take them some tables and chairs, and then photograph their family and it was fun that they had three kids and I had three cameras so you know at one point you know I only had one camera and the kids had two and so um, uh, watching that was real fun and that's you know a big thing of what I where I want to go is to tell these stories that people might not hear too much about and um, I mean that's so I'm reaching out, also working with a food bank here, local food bank. I have uh, some projects lined up for that. I've worked with a, a recovery, a men's men's and women recovery home, where I've done some visual storytelling for them. So I have done some, and I want to continue down that. Well, it's really interesting that, that you know, you're using your images to be of service within your own community. A lot of people think about doing work for others, but they don't think about their immediate vicinity they often think about some far off off mm-hmm, place mm-hmm. and i think you're you're a great example of someone who's who's able to find a need where they live and to be able to you know follow their passion for photography and allow yourself to be a service to others in that way i think that's very uh that's very cool well thank you yeah i would like to do more and that's it's finding that balance of being able to get off work do the family duties and still have time to do all that. And, and uh, speak to that because, you know, you're not a, a full-time photographer and you're doing all oh, this stuff. No. So. Well, um, yeah, it's mostly, you know, mostly weekends. Occasionally I'll sneak off early in the morning. I'd like to do more. That's when I have the time. I, I can get, if I wake up at, at, let's see, about 4.30, I can get out of here by 5, be downtown LA at 6, shoot till about 9.00. And be home in time for work. <laughs> so I've done that once or twice. But um, and if you're not familiar with LA, <laughs> LA traffic, um, at about an hour, you know, plus or minus, you know, it's it's a drive that uh, you know to get anywhere uh, meaningfully in LA is it's part of the equation. So it's just not. Uh, well, I haven't shot in New York. I just imagine it. You you walk out of your house and, you know, there's... And there it is. <laughs> <laughs> along with, you know, 8 million people walking in front of you. So uh, not to put down New York street photographers, but I mean, in LA, living in the suburbs here, it's... I, I need to, to kind of get that urban feel of where I'm not shooting people's houses and people walking on the sidewalk, which, you know, I, I, I do and have. But I do enjoy the city, city shooting, and that's... Um, that's a ways away. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Now, there are a lot of services out there that offer a website to photographers, which, which follow a template-like design. But one of the frustrating things for a lot of these sites is that when you want to customize it so that it fits your particular style of work and, and, and style, there's not very much that you can do about it. But Squarespace is the exact opposite because all the templates are not only just very easy to to negotiate and navigate, but they offer hundreds of customization options available to change grids, 
layout, colors. There are over 300 fonts, and there's so much, so much more. So even though you start off with a template, you can really customize your website to suit you. And that's really important. And I think that if you're a photographer, there's nothing more important than the way you showcase your work on the web. But you can find out for yourself by just trying out the free trial. And for that, just go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame. Sign up for a free account. No credit card is needed. Just try it out and start building your website today. Then if you decide to purchase it, use the offer code CANDIDFRAME6 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, including monthly and annual plans. That's squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME7. Everything you need to create an exceptional website. Well, well, tell me about the the community you've managed to 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 get in. You know, not only participate in, but help build yourself. Well, there was a lot of talk of that um, during the during during the conference, and it's played a big role in what you've been able to to do. Um, tell me about how you sort of uh, discovered that, and how you learned to you know, take advantage of it. Well, where I first I guess my first photo walk was when Josh Johnson did his uh, did his tour. And if you don't know him, it's the JJ community, Josh Johnson community. One of the big um, communities on Instagram, uh, just promoting photography for people who uh, are excited about it. So he came to L.A., uh, Santa Monica, and I took my daughter and I met Robert Visual Whiplash. And it was from there, there was a couple of IG meets, but he and I started to do some shooting and uh, go out often. And uh, he's really been able to teach me a lot. So to me, it was using social media to make social connections, not just, uh, uh, you know, online or uh, on the device, but, you know, face to face to, you know, really add, uh, add, to solidify the 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 meeting the person you know in that uh, relationship um but with Renzo my partner in the 24 hour project who lived in New York we hadn't met each other for 2 years and so it was all email calls um and how that started was i had an idea and this is for the 24 hour project which is it's in its second year or just finished its second year um and that is on one day uh, it's been March 23rd and March 24th, respectively, uh, starting whatever your time zone is for 24 hours, staying up, shooting your town, and then selecting one picture per hour to have a portfolio of 24 pictures, one one per hour per year city. And we've had about 65, no, 35 cities, over 65 photographers each year, um, and that's that was the project I met with Renzo and again that happened uh, I was following him on Instagram and he said hey does anyone have any projects or ideas you know I want I want to do something different and so I said hey I've got this idea and so at first initially this was something I was going to do I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt <laughs> and this was a project I was going to either shoot Whittier for 24 hours or just LA just kind of stay up and, and learn my city or see what you know what happens in a day. Uh, so I pitched him an idea. I said, "Hey, you could do New York. I could do L.A. Or we can also, if you know, if you like that idea, then we could invite people." 
and then we could just open it up. So it kind of, it, it grew, um, you know, even from the first year, it's like initially it was just going to be he and I, and then I said, well, you know, we could make this bigger. He said, great. And he invited a ton of people and he had some great connections. And so, you know, I, I invited a few, uh, maybe it was invited two thirds. I invited one third of the, the folks that, that participated the first year. Um, and, we lied about the, at least for me, I, it was a complete lie, the invitation that went out, because it says, if you love photography and hate sleep, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got this idea. And some people, you know, were very jazzed about it. But mm-hmm. the, the lie is, if you hate sleep, because I I do not do well with with sleep, but it sounded better than <laughs> that way. So we went with the lie. That That's, in, that's intense. I mean, focus, I mean... A day of shooting is one thing, you know, but 24 hours really sort of pushes so many limits, not, not only physically, but in terms of your ability to sort of concentrate and, and you know, and not just end up just snapping the camera just to snap the camera and, you know, to try and keep yourself at a certain level throughout. So that first time that you did that, what did, what did you learn of it? LA's too big to try to drive because <laughs> I started downtown LA. I tried to hit Hollywood oh, yeah. at the, the close. And then I, the one shot I wanted to get was scuba divers coming up out of the water at Redondo beach where I knew I was betting <laughs> my, my kind of my whole day on that, on that shot, which I did get, but the drive in between was, was too much. So the second year I, uh, the amount of distance covered was much lower but, uh, you know, again, in L.A., we it's so spread out that, you know, if downtown L.A. closes, there's not those clubs there. You've got to go elsewhere. You yeah. know, um, cities are like neighborhoods in New York. And so, you know, you can't just hop on a train and go, you know, we're somewhere it's a little bit more lively. You've got to, you know, you have to drive. So that's that was a big part about uh, the time. So you have a little bit less time to, you know, find a shot for a particular hour and other hours, you know, especially the first year where I was, I, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if it's through a window in a 24 hour diner, I got my shot. <laughs> I need a nap. And so. Did, did you see much difference between the photographs that you made during those time periods, as opposed to the shots you wouldn't make normally? Did you find that, 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 that pressure and that constraint sort of changed the way you were seeing and shooting um a bit because you you have a, a you have 24 deadline of 24 yeah deadlines and so you had you were always under under the gun and it was always nice when you got a nice picture say at 11.05 you could say okay I've got at least an hour hour and a half and I'll give myself a half hour you know at 12.30 to catch that hour so you know, you kind of played those sort of things uh, a little bit, but um, I think apart from taking some wrong turns and then having to deal with them or thinking neighborhoods were going to have more people to kind of capture, mm-hmm. um, that was the the bigger part of it. Uh, some of the streets that, you know, I, you know, I'm driving and I, you know, there was a car uh, or, um, and this is in the 2012 year that it was a, I was at a red light and I needed a picture for that hour, but there was a yard sale going on outside of an apartment building. So there was a little patch of grass on a sidewalk. And so that was, I think, a bike rider going through, but that was my, my picture for the hour. So, and then another one, I, my nephew was driving and, you know, there were some people running across the street. So 
just dealing with LA traffic and not having experienced those deadlines before yeah. and kind of overcoming the obstacles that I set up for myself. So And you get to discover how different the city is at three in the morning. Yes. I mean it's just it's I've I've been in downtown like at three or four in the morning and it's just like you 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 wouldn't recognize it as compared mm-hmm. to what it is in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. It's always been like fascinating for me. Uh, I immediately flash back to Charlton Heston and the Omega Man, mm-hmm. you know, when I drive down Broadway, right? Because it's just like it's just nothing there other than the lights. You may see a couple of figures, but it's completely sort mm-hmm. of desolate. And you know, you go to New York or you go to a city, there's always some life out there, but out here <laughs> it's just completely, completely dead. It's always been fascinating for me. Um, when you started looking at the work that other people produced mm-hmm. from that. Um, what were some of the things that excited you or surprised you when you started seeing the work that other people? Oh, of course, were I was embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, I was like, oh man, like, oh geez, look at this person. You know, like they're twenty. Oh, yeah. So there's always this comparing, and that's kind of the, it's the neat thing and the hard thing about this to do that is that you're putting your work out there alongside some folks you know have had years and years of experience with it, and you know are just you know masters at the craft and you're like oh well thanks for joining my project but like uh, you know <laughs> so that that was something that was hard um but you know I, I i need to get over other people's work and there's a great story and i'm forgetting the title but it's something uh, i think it's called the man who saw tigers or uh, like i'll think of it i'll give you a link when i when i hear it and you can maybe put it in the okay. in the write-up but uh so what it is it's about this uh amazing stone carver who can carve these animals very well and so one year he takes an apprentice and after five years you know this apprentice is very good at at comping but not quite and so the thing for the, that this stone carver would do would sit there and say you know well what do you see you know and he waited for the image in the rock to kind of present itself to him and so the story ends when he says, you know, what, you know, what type of, or what is the particular animal doing? Or he says, well, I don't see that. I see a tiger. And so that are, so he learned the craft, but now you're getting the idea that he's learning to tell his own story and that's okay that he's different from this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so getting comfortable, I guess, uh, with my own shooting style, with my own uh, visual voice and saying, you know, that's okay. My style's different. I can appreciate that one. But this is me. This is what I like to do. Yes, I wish I could take a picture that good still because, darn it, that's really, really good. You know, how that person saw it or, you know, it's – and that's fine. But that's, you know, the growing process. And I think a lot of people struggle with – especially in the beginning, you know, to to see that and, oh, I want to be that good. Well, you know, part of it is taking time and, you know, putting in the hours and putting in the – uh, the days, you know, where you got and say, I, I didn't get anything I like today. So, well, part of what I like about this iPhoneography or whatever, whatever the name is at this point, is that it's a little, little like the Wild West because there's everyone is doing something different. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many ways to approach to shoot to. You know, apply filters to and, and change an image. That there's really no okay. This is the way you should do it. Mm-hmm. That, that that I think burdens a lot of 
traditional photography. Mm -hmm. People are just being like, uh, I shoot this because I want to shoot it, and then I do this to the image because I like it. Mm -hmm. And and there's no, there's, it's not burdened by all these rules and restrictions. And I think that's one of the reasons why the images tend to excite me a lot more. I mean, I, I certainly see images that are made with SLRs that I go, wow, those are amazing photographs. But there's a rawness and a sincerity to a lot of the images that I'm seeing posted on Instagram and elsewhere that really tap into something very, very personal. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think part of it is the fact that, that people have their phones with them at, at all times, that they don't Unlike a, a person with a big camera, where they go out for the for the specific pur purpose of making a photograph. Okay, it's Saturday. It's time for me to go out and shoot. Mm -hmm. The person who has a camera phone uh, doesn't have that time restriction. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I see something. Let me make a shot. And then there's a there's this you know there's a there's an interaction with life as it's happening that results in photographs that I don't think would happen otherwise. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we everyone point and shoots that are, you know, pretty much dead now. Um, I'm going to say most 100, you know, 80 percent of households had one, but it was taken for special occasions, still in the, the purse or the pocket. And it mm -hmm. wasn't worn out on the wrist, on the hand, but with or it was left like, oh, we're going to a birthday party, bring the camera. Oh, we're going to the beach, bring the camera. Not I'm going to work, bring the camera. You know, and so that's, I think that's what's changed. It's changed the, um, and that's the excitement about mobile photography is you, you're always now going to have your phone. We've been trained for 10 years with our beepers and, you know, cell phones beforehand to always carry that device. And so now that phone has just become a camera, which we always have. And, mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot more, we've been trained to carry this device it now just happens to take pictures and so it's always around for that moment um and that's i think where it's where it's really blown up is that people have access to all the software all the the camera um and uh which which they would be paying for so it's relatively cheap i mean okay the pro camera app is five dollars on the higher end of a on the thing but um it's a lot cheaper than a any other camera. I mean, you have your phone, you would have bought your phone anyways. Now you just pay $5 for a great camera and you can get amazing editing tools. You know, it's not a thousand dollars for, you know, the big heavy duty lifting ones, but you mm -hmm. can do amazing, amazing things for $20, you know, and that's buying five, six, seven, eight apps, you know, and there's a lot of free ones out there that do amazing things. So it's, it's the price point for photography has come way down. I mean, people are willing to spend this much money already for a phone, but now you've combined it with say $30 and you have a powerful uh, photography kit from, you know, from the lens to the editing tool. So that's, that's something that I think is, it's a big part about that. Yeah. So, so what, what's happening with the images? Cause to one extent, uh, I see a lot of images showing up on Instagram, mm -hmm. and then on Facebook and social networks. But, uh, but you know, what more can happen with these images? I mean, let's talk about the twenty-four hour project. You have all these photographers mm -hmm. put together this work. They pick their you know best image from every hour for you know a total of twenty-four. What what happens? Are you guys beginning a book? Are you doing an online gallery? What what, what you know what? Oh. 
what, what happens okay. after all the images are created? Well, um, we have... Also, uh, first, uh, there, there's an online gallery, and it's at the 24hourproject.net. And for 2012, all the images are up. 2013, most of them are up. Uh, so you, ha- you can see... Uh, or anyone who's uploaded all their things, someone's guilty at this table of not submitting <laughs> theirs, and that's me. Uh, so, um, but uh, those are all there. Um, and then also we are working on a book uh, combining the first two years. And then there's a gallery show happening. Still actually got extended to August 8th at the uh, Space Gallery in Pomoda. And that's running until I said August 8th. So it opened June June 8th, was supposed to end yesterday, but it got extended until August. And so there's about 40, there's about 50, 50, 51 shots up there. So about two, one per hour per year with a couple of addition, a couple of hours have three or so. So that's there, and then we're working on getting that show also over to New York okay. uh, later on this year. So I, I think to me with, with digital, that's the thing. It's that we've, we're consuming many wonderful images on a very tiny screen. And so uh, part of it is to help them live mm-hmm. outside of this little box. Um, it was interesting that my wife, not my wife's, my aunt's memorial service, um, I, I took uh, photographs of all the family, did like a little family portrait uh, series, put it on my iPad and passed that around. And everyone looked at it individually and handed it down politely. Um, but then the old photo albums and envelopes of photos came out and everyone, or there was a, there was a crowd around that and passing pictures back and forth. And, and it was still a way that it was not being shared the way you would digitally. Digitally, mm-hmm. it seemed to be much more um, the individual c- yeah. consumption. Uh, you know, occasionally I'll say, oh, what a great picture, and I'll shove the phone in my wife's face or my kid's face. But with photographs, there seems to be, you know, with, with tangible photographs that um, uh, that just drew some, uh, that drew the family around to be sorting throughout these and, oh, look at and pointing and holding and sharing and touching and you still can't touch your music or your, you know, I, it's, there's a different quality for it. And so to hold a print, it's, um, it's different. And so, uh, that's, that is something I think that gets missed with, with digital. And I, you know, that's a good point to bring up about, um, you know, I would encourage everyone who listens here, if they do shoot on digital film, to select one picture a month and at the end of the year print those out on, you know, eight by tens or, uh, you know, even smaller, but have those tangible pictures that you took that year that you can hold, touch, you know, put up, um, take them off the screen, put them out where you don't need power to see them. Yeah, I, I, like I told you, I shot all the stuff in New Orleans and I printed a blurb book of pretty much Mm -hmm. all the stuff that I shot there. And holding that book in my hands made me have a sense of fulfillment and mm-hmm. an accomplishment that I just didn't have looking at the images on on the screen. There's something about that physical contact with paper and ink that um, that I think gets lost mm-hmm. in, in an age where you think your image is 
finished just because you're looking at it on a computer screen. Well, it, I think with it, you left out a huge. You didn't leave it necessarily leave it out, but there's a huge process from taking the picture, having it on your desktop or laptop, wherever on your phone, in the book, and that's the selection process. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's part of it. And you know, uh, with digital, I. I'm overwhelmed with the number of pictures I have and selecting, you know, before you, you'd have a, maybe you shot two rolls of film. Wow. Okay. So you thought mm-hmm. less than a hundred pictures. Well, again, DSLR or something like that, you're going to, you hold your finger on the button for 20 seconds and you've got, <laughs> you've got your 400, but you know, so there's, um, an enormous amount of detail and choice and to go down and to say, this is why I like this one. And here's, here's why. Yeah. Um, this is this is the better picture because this is why it speaks to me. And I'll, I'll do a little plug. Um, right now, um, I'm a member of We Are Juxt, um, and I'm giving little summer assignments, summer school assignments. And so this week's assignment, assignment number two, it's uh, just going back and looking at some of the great street photographers and picking out one picture and writing, I think I said in over 100 words, uh, and I hate writing, by the way. Uh, so as a teacher, you, you always give stuff that you don't like to do. Um, but you write why you like that picture. Why does it speak to you? What what about it? And it's part of that process that we don't, you know, we can, oh, you know, Instagram, I like this one here. But not every picture I post on Instagram, what I put in a book or, you know, so it's a, it's, I'm not as uh, selective with those shots. I mean, I am, but not as if I was going to put it in a book, where's the continuity of the book? What's the the overall theme? So there's a lot more thinking that has to go through. Um, And I had to learn this with the 24 hour project and picking out, um, you know, not only, uh, you know, waiting through, but you know, which hour was the best, but which photo worked well, telling that, that author story well within the, context of all the other um, photographers um, and trying to give a a complete picture and not tell the same story of a pedestrian or people kissing or doing that because you know a lot of people had those themes um, and then also well so I think that's a huge part of and a difficult part and why people don't do it so much uh, it's because of the overwhelming amount of choices that they have maybe even for the same not only for the same event but for the same picture you know someone's blowing out a candle and they've got three pictures of that and if they're going to make a book that they've got to pick up this one and and that becomes a big process of uh it's the dirty work of photography yeah i could probably do a, <laughs> at least a month of episodes just on discussing editing which is probably a good idea. Well, that's, I mean, even, okay, so you've edited all the pictures the way you want them. You still have to, you know, the, just even that the mere selection process is a, a huge one. Um, so I think that's that's another element that, uh, you know, I struggle with is is selecting those and letting go of the ones I don't want. I I have too many books in my house here and I don't want to get rid of them because one day I might need it or what? <laughs> so it's, you know, it's letting go of those pictures and kind of selecting so that there's a, that's another thing that I think that is lost with digital. It's the sort of the freedom of information. I'm free to take 
a thousand pictures in a day. Now I have the responsibility, you know, well, I, I don't have to, but the, the responsible part is now if I have all this work to do to get it, you know, into a, a hole or that selection process, there's a, there's comes a lot with, with that, uh, well, freedom to have so much information. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask nope. each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone. So it can be someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So. Well, I'll say someone who's taught me a lot. And uh, when we did the workshop, uh, the 24-hour workshop, uh, it was Robert Stacy. And some people say, oh, well, you know, I'm scared to take strangers. Go to Robert. Like you need to pair up with him um, because he's got a, a, a photojournalistic background, and he's you know. Uh, remember the first day I met him, he was say, "Oh, what do you shoot with?" And, you know, he had this big DSLR. And I said, "You know, kind of picked it up, got my iPhone, and you know, oh, but you know, we got over that uh, pretty quickly." He's a gracious man, but the uh, the boldness, and you know, he's comfortable in himself to be able to take a picture. And actually, that's going to be my next assignment is uh, ten, uh, getting 10 people, strangers, to allow you to take their picture, or five, and then getting five people to say no, uh, which oh. was uh, Eric Kim. I read that on his blog. Yeah. It was getting the five and five. Like, you have to get, if you're going to ask someone, you're going to hear no, so get used to that. It's not a big deal. So, you know, it's if you're a... a a baseball player and you're scared of ever getting a strike you're not gonna you know so that but anyway Robert is very comfortable with the camera right in people's face he's very close into and he's also very good with the words um, and so he's taught me so I would always like to push people to him it's Robert Stacy and his uh, IG name is now just uh, at visual whiplash at visual whiplash Okay. And where can people go to find out more about you and the 24-Hour Project? Well, 24hourproject.net. Um, oh, that's the and 24-hour project written out with, I mean, the numerals 24. Um, then I also have a Flickr at Whittier Sam and Instagram. I'm working on my... I, uh, do have a uh, domain and working on selecting the pictures <laughs> for that. So, um, and the show right now, it's, I don't know when this will air, but um, probably in a. It'll probably have three weeks, so it'll probably be near the end of July. So people will still have a month okay. to see it if they're in the LA area. Okay. So. All right. But if they're not in the LA area, they'll be able to go online and take a look at that. Yes. That and then New York, hopefully by the end of the year. Fantastic. All right. Well, Sam, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. As we continue to grow the show and expand our offerings here at The Candid Frame, your support is invaluable. And you can show that support in a variety of different ways. You can make small donations using PayPal. A link for that you'll find at the CandidFrame.com website, where donations of $5, $10, $20, or even more are greatly appreciated and go a long way to helping us improve the show. You can also post reviews on the iTunes web store, which help our rankings and create more awareness about the great program that we offer here. The show's editor is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the theothermartintaylor.com. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. Till next time, this is Ibarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame.